0: David Eichel here, HawkeyeInsider.com. Please be joined, as always, by Sean Bach. After the Hawkeyes record back-to-back wins after falling 0-2 to start their season, Iowa has now recorded their sixth straight win over the Minnesota Golden Gophers, which is the longest winning streak for Iowa in this series history. Uh, But, again, Sean, 35-7 win over Minnesota. The Hawkeyes, I think, in all three phases, especially defensively, came out with a spark. Uh, when you look back at this game, I know we're just fresh off this, maybe about, oh, an hour or so after this, uh, but what, what are the first things that come to mind when you think about this game?
1: Yeah, definitely just dominance. I mean, this game really never fell close. I mean, you look back at a couple times in the first half when Iowa was up 14-0, Minnesota had a chance to score, but then they ended up turning the ball over. Um, and really after that, like after that, after Iowa made it 20 nothing then you really never felt any sort of danger in this game. And I think that's kind of what the expectation was coming into it. We know Minnesota, we talked about the run game, but there's just so many holes in their team. When you look at the passing game, how it really wasn't what it was last year. The defense, though they return a lot, the guys really didn't look that good, especially in the run, which is something we kind of expected. Um, and kind of just overall, I thought this game was really just kind of indicative of, how dominant or how good really this Iowa team could be. I mean, we talk about Minnesota, how they've really struggled this year and how they're not on the same level as they were last year. But I think if you go on the road in games like this, and, I mean, Minnesota has had their ups and downs this season. I mean, they killed Illinois, which I guess isn't really a lot to say. They lost to Michigan, um, lost to Maryland. So I think we kind of expected that Iowa would come into this game and win, but – I don't think many people expected the fashion of what it was. And I think you got to tip your hat to the Iowa defense. Honestly, this group has been absolutely incredible ever since kind of the little bit of struggles against Purdue, maybe. And then Mm -hmm. Northwestern here and there, like Iowa's defense has been absolutely spectacular. And that's that's against teams that while they not be may not be in the top tier of the conference. They were coming off arguably their best – both teams were coming off their best game of the season. Michigan State coming off the Michigan win. Minnesota coming off that win against Illinois. So these teams felt more confident coming into the games, but Iowa's defense was really able to come in and, and shut things down, which was really, really impressive to me.
0: Yeah, Sean, I think you bring up a good point about the defense. I think it was after that 10-minute and 56-second drive where Minnesota didn't end up scoring. I had tweeted, I apologize for having more questions about Iowa's defense than their offense. And that's nothing against the Iowa offense, but the defense has just been spectacular. I think when you think about the interviews that we did a couple weeks ago, what did they harp on? They harped on communication. And Iowa has really not given up that many big plays. They've been solid in the run game. Uh, And even though there's – I don't want to say – I mean, it really is, though, a lack of stars, Sean, but the team's chemistry is just there. You see them constantly swarming to the ball. Iowa gave up 144 yards to Mohammed Ibrahim tonight, Sean. It did not feel like that. It really didn't. He got down 33 carries. He only had one uh, one run that went for double-digit yards, and it was only 4.4 yards a carry. Iowa was swarming to the ball, and he earned every single yard of that. Jack Kerner. I think he's get, he just continues to prove why he got put on scholarship. He had the interception. He had the field goal, the thirty nine field goal, uh, blocked field goal. I mean, this Iowa team, Sean. I think that they're really starting to hit their stride, and the trajectory for the defense is just going up. I think Chauncey Golson played well. Zach Van Valkenburg, I think, especially over the last two weeks, has played tremendous. He had three sacks tonight, and I think it was a welcome sight. Uh, for Iowa fans and for the Iowa defense to see what Jack Campbell can do. He was nowhere near 100%, but I really think he made some nice plays, sideline to sideline, including I think it was a big third down stop.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe to me, just reading Kirk's quotes, I don't know if I read it differently or maybe Kirk said something different. But, yeah, I mean, I thought based on what Kirk said last week that Schulte would be the guy coming back before Campbell um so just to see jack back i mean because you think about mono like i don't want to get too much into the to the tidbits or the the, the, the the medical side of things yeah yeah yeah. but he um that's like a tough thing to come back from like that drags you down i know he wasn't out there for every play but he still showed a lot of grit a lot of fight and i think he's probably the best linebacker right now on this iowa roster just the way he's able to cover sideline to sideline Looks really good coming downhill. I thought his pass coverage was really impressive too at times. Um, and there's just a lot to like about Campbell. I mean, we've seen it from Iowa's linebackers. I thought Nick Neiman has been solid in times. Seth Benson has been really, really good. Um, Barrington Wade's obviously had those interceptions. Justin Jacobs has shown promise from time to time, but we haven't really seen him break out to the player that we expected him to be right now. Um, I still think you got to give him some time, but I think with Campbell back, like, this group is really, really solid. And you could play probably three of those backers consistent snaps with Campbell, Benson, and Neiman. And you could interchange them. And that's a solid group, too. I think you can rely on Campbell a little more in the pass coverage than you can Neiman and Benson. But I think Benson's really good at getting downhill and guarding the run while Campbell's the same deal with it. Um, So, yeah, just Campbell, man. Like, he brings a totally different dynamic to the – to the defense. Like he's mm-hmm. kind of gives me the Christian Welch vibes a little bit with just his steadiness and his consistency. And he's not even sure. close to a hundred percent, like you said.
0: No. And I think, I think the thing about Campbell, I think Campbell has a higher ceiling than Welch. And we're talking about Christian Welch who's on an NFL roster. right now. I remember he was uh, activated by the Baltimore Ravens, but I do think we'll see him in a couple of weeks. We'll get an, a sense of where he's kind of at. Um, but Seth Benson, like you said, I think Seth Benson has really done well swarming in the ball. He's been, I think the among the team leaders and tackles over the past three weeks, he tied for the team yeah. lead with seven tackles tonight, along with Nick Neiman. Um, but you know, I, I think Iowa, for the most part, Sean. I mean, Rashad Bateman had eight catches for a hundred, I think, thirteen yards and a touchdown. But it really didn't feel like Iowa got beat that badly by Rashad Bateman. And considering that he was targeted almost half of overall throws. I think Iowa held up pretty well for the most part there. But, Sean, flipping from the defense, let's go right to the offense. I think Tyler Goodson had the game I expected him to have. I think you expected him to have as well. Tyler Goodson had a career-high 142 yards on 20 total carries, two touchdowns. Had that 45-yard run to end the third quarter. I think he continues to show he can make something out of nothing. But Sean, I think we had a lot of questions about how this offensive line would look. We thought it would look improved, but Iowa's offensive line, especially Larrick Jackson, I think Cody Ince showed some good things tonight. But Larrick Jackson, I think, is playing some of his best football of his career. And there's, it, it's really no, it's no surprise to see Iowa's run game get going the way it has with the way the offensive lines perform.
1: Definitely, and you consider you consider the rushing stats. You take out the carries from Petrus and. Reganey, and Amir Smith-Marset, I believe that Goodson and Sargent, because I did the stat for the By the Numbers, I believe they had averaged 8, well, it was either 8.9, like a little under, like around 8.5 yards per carry, between 7.9 yards per carry for Goodson and Sargent combined. Um, Goods, or Goodson was 7.1 and Sargent was 9.6, but... Goodson had more carries, So that kind of plays into effect a little bit. So that's a really solid. I mean, you have to take into account some of the longer chunk plays that they had on the ground. And um, that's really promising. That's really good to see. And we knew coming into this game too, that running the ball was going to be a key. I mean, Think first, you think about Minnesota's defense, how bad they've been against the run this year, averaging or allowing like six yards per carry, was which was last in the seven, big
0: 7.3 entering the game, and I think the next closest wow. was
1: 4.9. Wow. And Iowa, Iowa averaged 6.7 as a team, and that's taking into account Petrus, Regani, and Marcette on their carries. So that's not even like. Iowa's defense didn't even hit the average of what Minnesota has allowed this year, but they still yeah. looked really dominant. Now I don't know whether that's to give credit to the Iowa offensive line or like maybe downplay a little bit, the Minnesota defense as a whole. I mean, having one of their linebackers, Sori Marin, go out in the first half with the targeting definitely didn't help because he's more of their guy that they rely on with run with the run stopping. But still, I mean, it was just a really just a game that you have to dominate and the Iowa did then. That's really all I can say about it.
0: No, definitely, Sean. And, uh, again, I think you bring up good points. I mean, keep in mind, too, Makai Sargent really got going, I think, in the last drive of the game. I think he had 51 of his yards there. He broke away for that uh, 36-yard run before he tapped it in. Uh, but I love the play calling by Brian Ferencz. I thought the first couple of drives were scripted really well. Iowa didn't really get a chance to get going in that third quarter due to that 11-minute drive. But there were 35 total run plays – 18 passes that's about the ratio you wanted to see tonight I think Sean you had to keep them honest with a couple of the pass plays but Iowa just ground and pound the offensive line established their dominance Tyler Goodson got going Makai Sargent made some things happen I mean if you this is what I think you and I talked about earlier in the week and I think people are kind of harping on especially after the Northwestern game when Iowa just threw through and through especially when you have Spencer Petras we'll get to him in a second is still trying to get comfortable he's really trying to get Uh, his momentum going. And I still think there's, you know, I I think he's excelled in some areas. I think he can manage the team. Well, I think they do believe in him, but there's a long way to go. I think in terms of his medium to deep passing. And I think when he threw his uh, interception tonight, Sean, it it was, it was going to be an interception, I think all the way, especially when you look to the replay, he did not take his eyes off Amir Smith-Marset. Minnesota defense realized that they pounced on the, on the route, and it just ended up happening the way it did. But, again, the, the 30 yards and penalty really gave Iowa's defense some some wiggle room. But, like I said, Sean, going circling back, Iowa's rushing attack, this is what you wanted to see. Uh, Minnesota, on average, I think, was giving up 238 yards per game on the ground. Iowa had 235. And, again, that's if you take into account the, the QB kneel at the end, Emir Smith-Marset with a negative six-yard rush on that uh, jet sweep that was caught in the backfield. And Nico Reganis' one-yard run, which, granted, it was a touchdown, and, and Spencer Petrus, but this is what you wanted to see. Iowa got the job done, and and in a, in a fashion that I don't think many people expected. I picked them by two touchdowns, but I did not expect Iowa to hold Minnesota single digits just because of Tanner Morgan, Rashad Bateman, and Muhammad Ibrahim.
1: Yeah, I got. I initially had thirty to fourteen, and then I got talked into making my differential a little slimmer. So I had 35, 24, but yeah, I mean, I think you look at it offensively too. And just the way the run game has been able to go so far has been really, really, really good. But you look at the passing and it's like, I know this wasn't really a game where you want the pass to be like a huge focal point. Like you want to run the ball in these types of games, but I I don't want to dwell on the pass too much, but I think if Petra's, like is more comfortable in the first one or two games of the season I think Iowa wins those games just based off how good we've seen the run game be and how solid they were in those games like some of the plays that he could have made some of the throws that he could have made I'm sure he knows it Mm -hmm. but he's not focused on that but like just think about that like I think if quarterback play was there I think Iowa would be a 4-0 football team right there I'm not saying it's not going to be there but I think if there were some things that were worked out now you can make an argument for defense like the way they guard David Bell and all that kind of stuff too. But I think if the offense was there, or quarterback play was there, the passing, the execution in the passing game, I should say, I think Iowa's a 4-0 football team.
0: And a couple quick notes, Sean, before you keep diving into this. Iowa, with the win tonight, has officially tied the all-time series. It's 42-42 and two ties. Uh, So that's just something to note for next year if Iowa wants to take the all-time series lead. Tyler Goodson again a career high 142 yards, second straight 100 yard game, third of his career. And with Iowa's blocked field goal, it's Iowa's first blocked field goal since 2017 when Anthony Nelson blocked it against Penn State, which is, that's just kind of a surprising stat to me because you do think of Iowa taking advantage of some of those you know some of those special teams plays. Uh, to win a couple games. And the fact they haven't blocked one since 2017 is a little bit surprising. (laughs) Another final stat is Iowa has now recorded an interception in 11 straight games. But Sean, before we kind of really wrap this up, I wanted to get your take on this. It really seems like Riley Moss, uh, he absorbed some criticism, maybe rightfully so, early in his career. And four of his career picks have come against Minnesota. But he's a guy that just continues to produce. I mean, he's made some really good plays. And like I think you tweeted this right, that he just he loves playing against Minnesota, but he continues I think to make a big impact on this Iowa team. And for a while, it looked like he was going to return that that interception for six.
1: Yeah, no, I agree, and I think that was probably, I mean, we give him flack, and a lot of people give him flack for just being in the right place, right time, for some of his interceptions. I mean, you look at the one against Purdue, you look, or not the one against Purdue, the ones against Minnesota in the past, um, the one last week against Michigan State, I thought that was a good play. I'd have to look back at the um, the one from this game, but it looked like he jumped the pass a little bit and just made a great play on it. So yeah. I don't think that's one that you can give him just being, like, in the right place right time or lucky. I think that was just a great overall play, and there's nothing really else to say about it. And I know he gets flack. I mean, I think his positives, the way he's able to play, outweigh the negatives. Um, I know that kind of sounds basic and like, oh, no, duh. But I think hes you could see him be beaten coverage a couple of times because I think he lacks some of the athleticism that some of these Big Ten re- receivers have. Sure. But I also think his ball skills and the way he's able to really follow the the quarterback's eyes says a lot about what kind of player he is and his length too. Like he's more lengthy than really um he looks a lot lengthier on the football field than he does in real life. Um definitely or agree. Off with the that. field. Definitely agree. Off with the that. field. And that's like you need a guy like that too that can come up with those plays. I mean, we've seen it with Jack Kerner. Um, I'd like Jack to see. Kerner, a little more it's con- the
0: same thing. I think you bring up an excellent point, Sean. It it's the fact that how many of his interceptions have just been on overthrows, but the reality is if the guy is in the position, you expect him to make the play. And Riley Moss makes the play, and so is Jack Kerner.
1: Right, and that's his job too, is to play over the top as a safety. So and he's able to read the quarterback's eyes really well and get over to those spots. And I think you need that, especially with the way that Matt Hankins has played. I think he's still kind of waiting to break out a little bit this year, kind of show what we expected him to be this year. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I had another thing in my head, but I completely forgot what I was going to say. It's <laughs> getting way too late. I'm going. I woke up at five this morning. Like, it's I don't know long what day I'm for doing for
0: you, Sean. But uh, yeah. before we kind of wrap this up, we have to talk about the ending of that game with the timeouts. Uh if 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 for some reason you didn't see it, just a quick synopsis. People, some Minnesota fans, I think, wrongfully accused Kirk of doing this, Sean. You can't call a timeout, you can't challenge a play in the final two minutes. Iowa, they thought called a timeout to review a play, which was an obvious no-catch when they called it a catch, but the booth called the review, didn't charge Iowa a timeout, and then they reversed it. So that set up Minnesota getting within the 10-yard line with I think there was 19 seconds left or so, Sean, and P.J. Fleck called a timeout. And Kirk responded by calling three straight timeouts, and the passive aggressiveness was beautiful. And then Kirk, who's not really known for taking, I think, shots at any other team or players or coaches, at least not outright, maybe it's more subtle, but he just said, yeah, we thought we'd take Floyd with us and leave the timeouts there. But, Sean, I mean, I was laughing from my chair. What what were you kind of thinking when that whole thing went down?
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought it was kind of funny. Um, I think the end of the game execution, I see why maybe Minnesota got a little butthurt about, or at least fans did, about um, Iowa scoring some of those touchdowns. But I also think Kirk kind of delivered it back with, the way PJ Fleck called that timeout when Minnesota was driving. I mean, they didn't want to get shut out by Iowa. I think that yeah. was pretty clear. Um, and you never want to get shut out, especially against your rival, and especially the way that this Ferrens and Fleck rivalry has kind of gone. I was honestly on the edge of my seat waiting for the postgame handshake at midfield to see w- what would happen there. <laughs> um, but it looked like a pretty casual looked like a pretty casual uh it, handshake. You it know, was it's kinda of like it was quick, yeah. to say the least. Well let's put it this way it's kind of like the sideline tough guys like you talk about the internet tough guys the guys that hide behind the screen (laughs) um, where Kirk is Kirk and PJ are in separate sidelines and they kind of do that whole thing but once they meet each other at midfield they're kind of like cordial which I'd imagine that both of them like Kirk's kind of like that in a way Um, but I thought I thought that was definitely I thought it was pretty funny Um, not gonna lie I mean I think the other way, if it happened the other way, Iowa fans would be irate. And I mean I see why it's funny, but I think Iowa fans would be absolutely irate if some if another opposing coach was gonna do that. And that's that's totally fine. Like that's perfectly fine. Like there's I'm not knocking anyone for enjoying that, but I think if if it would have gone the other way, things would have been a lot different on Twitter.
0: It's one of those things, Sean, where, I mean, this is what you talk about a rivalry. This is a moment of the rivalry. It. These things just happen in athletics. So, no, I, I, I'm I, on the same boat as you. Boat. Um, I have a boat. But I just thought it was really funny. The passive aggressiveness was wonderful. But like you said, I think the obvious reason was they did not want to get shut out. And keep in mind, they kept their fir- – like you said, they kept their first team out there. They were going against – very second if not third team iowa defenders jay higgins the freshman linebacker was out there there were a few other freshmen out there and they just didn't want to
1: yeah yeah or yahweh, uh, yahweh, Black. Or yahweh. Yeah,
0: he's a yeah, massive yahweh Black. human being yeah. on that edge too and i think i think that was a good move by the way by phil parker or, or kirk or whoever made that call sean because this is his home state we hadn't seen him in action yet and i think that was kind of just a, a maybe one of those subtle cool things that they did for him but Again, he's a guy that I think we've both have said to keep an eye on, and the the staff has been incredibly um and not a very excited about but it'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow, Sean. I'm very eager to see how Penn State comes out against Nebraska, maybe get more of a feel on their team i I don't think Penn State's going to drop to 0 and four, and I'm excited to kind of get more of a read on their team as Iowa now gets to sit back and relax and enjoy their Saturday before they gear up against the Nittany Lions who have beaten Iowa five straight times. I mean, this is what I talked about before the Michigan State game, Sean, where they have plenty to play for. This is one of those games that can carry momentum in next season. They can get the monkey off their back in terms of that losing streak. But I guess circling back to the, the start of the podcast, Sean – what what would kind of what what's your kind of final take from from this Iowa game where what worries you where the strengths and again just what are you going to kind of remember uh from tonight besides the fact that Tory Taylor might be a Ray guy uh front runner
1: I think it was too early to judge at the beginning of the season people were talking about oh my god is Iowa going to win a game this year but I think now you look at the rest of the schedule and I think it's unless something knock on wood something COVID related happens I think there's a legitimate shot for Iowa to go six and two but I'm going to play more conservative and go five and three but I think six and two is definitely a possibility I think a lot of people would take that after the way things started this season no doubt in my mind
0: no and I'm in the same boat I'm in the same uh, realm as you on that too Sean I think that a lot of people were very nervous to say the least but I think after Iowa's performance against Michigan State, I think even a lot of the national people or the regional people were saying, okay, this Iowa team might be better than the record shows. And I think if you had kind of watched the team, just the week-over-week week improvement I think has been the most impressive thing, Sean, as I've watched this team. The offense looks better. I know Petras, we'll talk. we'll dive more into that early next week after we get a chance to maybe talk to him again, Sean. Uh, but we'll see what happens there. But Iowa's run game, Iowa's offensive line has been, I think, dynamic. The defense has been outstanding, especially over the last two weeks. But I think right now people should be encouraged by the fact that Iowa continues to get better and better and better each week. But I think that's going to about wrap it up for us tonight, Sean. Uh, Hawkeyeinsider.com. we'll have plenty of post game coverage coming to you. Uh, tomorrow and throughout the weekend and then starting Monday we'll get you prepped up for Iowa's matchup against Penn State any uh any final words
1: Sean before we get out of here no not really I mean I want to give a shout out to Arlen Bruce and Brody Brecht out of Ankeny two Iowa commits pulled off a big win tonight against Dallin Catholic ended their seventh 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 year uh or seven years I think it was rain yep. yeah rain state champions um and we'll play next weekend Southeast Polk, and that's it's going to be a big, big, big game, Class 4A. That's going to be a fun one. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. And, I mean, tomorrow, too, I'll be at the, UN, the Dome to see uh, Iowa 4-Star commit Cooper DeGene as they put take on Sigourney-Kyoto in what should be a really, really fun Class 1A game semifinal. So be on the lookout for that coverage, HawkeyeIncenter.com. Look at me on Twitter at Spock247. So coverage Even though Iowa doesn't have a game tomorrow, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. And I
0: guess the very last thing I'll say. By the way, yeah, I mean I think Arlen Bruce continues to prove his worth and what he's going to bring to the table. I mean, what a difference maker he's been for that team. And I mean, this is the game, Sean. I think all of us have looked forward to Ankeny versus Southeast Polk. Uh, I'm very excited to watch it. But a quick shout out. Uh, I, I I I'm so mad at myself for forgetting the name. But Montezuma in eight man football. 108 to 94 uh it was remsen saint mary's they were playing uh the highest scoring playoff game in state history made national headlines but i loved every second of it and it really was just it was absolutely dynamic it literally almost broke the scoreboard at the unidome sean where it had uh they couldn't even put three digits on the board which is hilarious but uh yeah, like, like Sean said, follow us at SBOC247, at David Eichelt, at Hawkeyes on 24-7. We'll have coverage for you the rest of the weekend and early next week as Iowa gets prepped up for Penn State. And uh, be sure to follow us uh, on iTunes, on Spotify, and everything else, and we'll talk to you in a few days. Thanks.
2: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.